Amen. Well, praise the name of the Lord our God. You know, as we was singing, I was looking, and that's amazing. I never tell Jonathan very seldom what to sing. Uh, Every now and then I'll have a certain song that I want to have sung, but that's not very often, is it? But it amazes me how it always comes together with what I'm fixing to preach. And today, if you got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to preach a sermon this morning that God put on my heart, Jesus, no other name, and about the name of Jesus. And did you notice how much we sang about the name of Jesus? Glory to his name and praise the name of the Lord our God. You know, I did tell him something when he first came, though. He was asking me about, you know, well, style and, you know, everyone worries now about the worship and how we got to try to make everybody happy. I said, you don't worry about making nobody happy but Jesus. Because I'm going to preach about Jesus and you sing about Jesus and everything will be all right. Amen. So that's what me and him do. And I'm not making this up. You can ask him. I said, you sing about Jesus. If it ain't got Jesus in it, if you can't tell who they singing about, we might not need to be singing it. Amen. But when you sing and praise the name of Jesus, I promise you something's fixing to happen in the house of God because it's all about Jesus. And we look right here and we get a vivid reminder of the importance of Jesus and the power of his name. You know, Jesus said this right before he went back to heaven in in the, the 28th chapter, right before he gave us the Great Commission. He said, all power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's no higher authority, there's no greater power than the name of Jesus. Jesus. That's the only name that at the end of it all, when it's all revealed and God's people are called home, that every knee is going to bow to and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the name above all names. And we look right here today and it's dear to me because I don't know about you, I got saved one day by Jesus. And Jesus is in my life and Everything that I have what's worth praising God about is because of Christ. And this morning, if you look with me, here in the book of Acts chapter 4, the Bible says this. It says, and when they had set them, them being John and Peter, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, what had they done? They had just healed a crippled man who had been born crippled. He was approximately 40-some years old, according to the teachings here. It starts over in chapter 3. He was sitting at the gate of the temple begging alms just to make survive. And here comes Peter and John on the way to a prayer meeting, and he's begging, and he's asking for a handout. Peter said, man, silver and gold we don't have, but we do have. We give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, stand and rise. Get up off your pallet. And they healed him, and of course, a big ruckus has began. It says, so Peter's asked, by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And I want you to just to see a quick picture of the power of the name of Jesus. A helpless man. How helpless was he? Crippled from life, from birth. You may not believe this, but everybody in this room was born spiritually helpless, crippled, maimed. You were all spiritually one day helpless. And Jesus, just like he made this man well, he made this man whole physically. An even greater miracle is that he takes sinful people like me and you and makes us whole spiritually. He makes us well. By his stripes we are healed. Not only by his wounds are we healed physically, but we're healed spiritually. And because of that, he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation, the most important piece of everybody on earth's spiritual life. And he says right there, this is the stone which you, re- you rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I'm a firm believer that nothing makes a bigger and more influence in our life than time spent with Jesus. 30 years in the church of religion without time spent regularly with Jesus won't do with one good month somebody gets saved and spends time with Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes our lives. He's the one who saved our life. He is the one who upholds us and keeps us. And he is the only one who can transform us by the renewing of our mind into what God's perfect will for each of us is, which is to be like him. And so as we look here, Peter's preaching now. And this young man, this man who was crippled, well, he wasn't, you know, he's 40, he's getting young, I'm 60 now. But anyway, this man was crippled and he was healed and he was saved and he believed Jesus. And now Jesus is preaching and people are being saved. You ever notice that you can talk about God in the generic? You can talk about religion. And even people who you know are outwardly not any evidence of God in their life won't get upset. You pretty much go with. But you ever notice when you mention Jesus, there's a tension comes. If you're ever talking to somebody about his relationship with God and where he goes to church and what denomination he is, they'll be pretty talkative to you. Say, well, what about you and Jesus? Because, friends, listen, without Jesus, all the religion in the world doesn't make a difference. But Jesus is the only one through his relationship that can reconcile us to the Lord. I want you to look at what John put here. This is at the end of John's gospel. This is the reason John wrote his gospel. And he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. He said, if you think what I wrote down was amazing, he even did many more things than that. The seven signs that turning water into wine, um, raising the dead, causing the blind to see. He says, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, 
And by believing, you may have life in his name. It's only by believing in Jesus and who he is and what he can do that you can have life, eternal life, spiritual life. Be spiritually healthy and be made into the person God wants you to be. And as you begin to look here, Peter says there's no other name given among men by we must be saved in the name of Jesus. You look right here and you see that Jesus has the power in his name to take a helpless man. And just by Peter's command, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The man stands before you here, he says, whole today. He was crippled, but now he can walk. He was sick, but he's been made well. Jesus said, I didn't come to seek and help the righteous. I came to find sinners. I came to help those who are sick. I came to find those who are broken because it's not till you realize you're broken, Jesus can fix you. But once you realize how broken you are and how sick you are, you're the candidate that Jesus is there to help. And Jesus can help anybody today. You see, Jesus is life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to my Father but through me. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I'm one of many truths. He said, I am the only way. I am the only truth. This upsets lots of people today because Jesus said, it is only in me that you will find the life that the Father has for you. When you read the Bible, you learn real quick that Jesus says, I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the light of the world. Light is a requirement for life. And if you follow me, you won't be in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. Life is found only in Jesus. The power of Jesus' name. At that name, demons tremble. At that name, people can be healed. At that name, lives can be changed. At that name, the past can be removed and the future can be changed. The power of the name of Jesus is beyond comprehension. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's what gives us access. You might not believe this, but unless you have come to the cross and your sins have been washed and you've been saved, your prayers are not heard. You gotta come through the blood of Christ, through the salvation he provides. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Father, we come today in the name of Jesus and we pray amen in Jesus' name. That's not just something we do. That's what gives us the access, the authority, and brings us into the grace and power that can help us with our spiritual needs. You see, Jesus is not just a prophet. If you look at that, it says, these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was a special prophet sent by God with a special message. Do you remember when Jesus had been with them long enough and they were gathered and Jesus asked them one day, who do people say that I am? And they began to say, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're the prophet. Some say you're, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. That means the Messiah. That's what John is saying there, the Messiah. You're the chosen one, the sent one. You're God's special messenger. But more than that, Peter said, but you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, 
Simon, because flesh and blood didn't tell you that. You see, there's a lot of people who have an understanding of Jesus, and they think they know Jesus. But there's a big difference between thinking what you know about Jesus and knowing the true Jesus. You see, him being the Son of God changes everything. I want you to look at this. Son of God means more than Jesus was a divine or special messenger sent from God to the world. No one ever preached and spoke like Jesus. No one ever done the miracle. You see the signs, the miracles, the healing of that crippled man wasn't for people who were saved. It was for people who were lost. It wasn't for people who believe and know who Jesus is. It's for people who don't believe and know who he is. So that he can be authenticated. So that he can prove that I have power in my name. Remember when Jesus was there and the, 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 the four brethren brought their friend who was crippled on the pallet. And they understood the power of Jesus' name, son. They did what it took to get him to church. When they got there, there was a crowd. They climbed up on the roof, ripped a hole in the roof. Dropped him down through the roof, put him on the ground. And Jesus looked at him and he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees were sitting over there, the religious crowd. They didn't say it out loud. They were thinking it. Who is he? Where does he get power and authority to forgive sin? And Jesus, reading their minds, seeing within their hearts, said, yeah. He says, it's easy to say I forgive sin, but take up your pallet and go home. See, the Son of Man has power to heal. He said, and the Son of Man has power now to forgive. And he made that man get up and walk home. See, that's what he's trying to do, everybody. He blesses. He, he's trying to show what he can do. You see, Jesus, when we say he's the Son of God, it means Jesus is fully God himself. He's equal in power and glory to God the Father and God the Spirit. He's the third person, the second person in the Trinity of how God has revealed himself through the Godhead, we call it. Now, I'm going to get a little theological for y'all. And if I can understand it, you'll understand it because we all rednecks. Now, I don't understand the Trinity, but I do understand how it's presented. And I believe in it. Friends, if you hold your place here because we will turn back. Turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. The book of Colossians chapter 1. You see, Acts is the beginning of the church moving with Jesus. And then Paul and John and Peter and their letters, the epistles, is the taking us to the level. It's all about Jesus. It's all about teaching who Jesus is and what his name represents. And so when you get to the book of Colossians... It tells us something about Jesus. If you look right there before we turn this slide, it says Jesus is equal in power and glory. Do you remember what John said? The John says that Jesus is the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word created everything in the beginning of the Gospel of John. And he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. He's saying we've seen his glory, the glory of God, Son, equal to the Father. But look what Paul says about him. If you look with me in Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. Paul says he, he being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Look at what it says when you read about him. Look at all these 
pronouns. And, and you know, there's a disruption in pronouns today. Did y'all know that? People done got so warped in their understanding, they don't even know what pronouns are anymore. Like, we, we, you're misusing your pronoun. You're hurting somebody's feelings. This would really hurt their feelings. Every one of these he's, every one of these hymns, every one of these his can be equally put down as Jesus and be perfectly theologically sound. I want you to just do it with me. I've done it twice yesterday and it just made me feel good. Look at verse 15. Now, verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. That's the forgiveness of sins. So he's talking about Jesus. And look at it and read it with me. Verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things consist. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he may have the, Jesus may have the preeminence. That means first place. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of what? The fullness of God's glory, his Godhead, his divinity. The divine essence of who God is was totally fulfilled in Jesus. Look at what it says right there. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation is not talking about order. It's not talking about he was first. It's talking about rank. (laughs) It wasn't that he was first in line. It's he's first above all. He has preeminence. It's kind of like this. Right now we have a first lady in the White House. And we say she's the first lady. But she ain't the first lady ever lived in the White House. She's the first lady because right now her husband is the president. And because of that honor and that connection, she's the first lady. Jesus is firstborn because his daddy is the king of all. He's God. He's equal to God. It's not that he was firstborn like some people misinterpret. He was the first one ever resurrected. His resurrection is not exactly the same as ours. And none of us has been resurrected yet. I ain't seen nobody come back to church after we went and had the funeral service for him yet. But Jesus, amen? <laughs> Jesus came back. So I want you to think about this. And in Jesus, he's before all things. Why? Because he's first. He's above all things. And in him, all things consist. Nothing can consist without Jesus. If you take Jesus away, you take away everything that we take for granted. Gravity, air. I like gravity. I like air. How about you? Life. You see, you may not believe this today, but you're breathing this morning because Jesus woke you up. You got to come to church today not because you're good and righteous, but Jesus done something to you. The only difference between us and them fishing today and playing golf and didn't come to church is that Jesus got a hold of us one day and Jesus showed us who he is and now we realize Jesus is more important. And I ain't nothing better than catching fish or hitting a hole in one, huh, Mr. Garland? But we don't do it on Jesus' day. You ever heard what happened, that joke about the man that went, the preacher went played golf on church? 
He went and played golf on Sunday with his buddies, and he hit a hole in one. He couldn't tell nobody. <laughs> I just throw that in. I don't know where that came from. Shut up, Marvin. Get back in the spirit. But listen, he is first above all. Before him, all things consist. And in him is the only reason things do consist. And I want you to understand something. It pleased God the Father. It pleased him that in him all the fullness of who he is would dwell. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus said, me and the Father of one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Thomas. We are one. And friends, I want you to think about this. Peter, who's preaching Jesus, he's standing, and you can flip back with, no, stay here for a minute. We got one more to look at. The Bible says that we are complete in him. Complete meaning the fullness of what God wants to do in us. We are perfected. We are mature. That what God saved us for here on earth happens through Christ. Look at what he says again in chapter 2, this same book. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. That's what that says. When you see Jesus, all the fullness of God's glory, his deity, his splendor, his holiness, his love, every attribute of God was manifested in the bodily form of the Son, Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to understand something. You are complete in him. If you get Jesus, you don't need nothing else. If you get Jesus, you got everything you need to become what God wants you to be. And there is things that are involved. Yes, you need to grow and you need to be educated. Yes, you need to be trained. But all the education in the world, all the training in the world, without Jesus will just make you religious. It'll never make you righteous. It'll never make you holy and make you able to be like him. And friends, I want you to look at what he says right above that. Look at this in chapter 2. It says in verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How many of you received Jesus? And man, when you received Jesus, did it not make a difference? Did it not change things? And look at what he says. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Everything that God does in us, he does through Jesus. We consist, we exist, we, we subsist because of him. Look at what he says right below that in verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the world. Do you ever notice how the world wants to be all philosophical and act spiritual and speak things that sound like they are go good? But if you really think about them, they never do anything but confuse you. Because the world, I'm telling you, can't stand true spirituality. But it says that we are to be where, lest anyone cheat you, rob you. Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to who? Jesus. Friends, the world right now 
is promoting a Christianity that has nothing to do with Christ. It's promoting a religious experience that is based about everything you do for Jesus. When the true Christian experience is based on what Jesus does for us. You see, Jesus saves us. Jesus changes us. Jesus transforms us by the renewing of our mind. He reconciles. He does it all. Yeah, we have a part to play. We have to respond what he initiates. But only Jesus, my friend, can change a person into godliness and righteousness and give us a new heart and a new desire to be a different person. That's called repentance. Repentance is the fruit of God's grace. And God's goodness leads us to repentance. God blessing us, helping us, changing us. Friends, listen what he says right here. When you look at the bottom part of verse chapter 1, and we're going to get back to where I want to preach. Look at what he says. Paul says, In verse 28, him. Now, I done showed you about them pronouns. Who does him refer to? Jesus. Verse 28. Right above that, he says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. Paul said, we preach Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We preach Jesus, warning every man, And teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. That means complete. Those words are interchangeable. Fullness, complete, and perfect could literally mean mature, grown up. Now when you become mature, what happens to a plant? Everybody's been asking John Merle, you got any tomatoes yet? He got a lot of tomato plants. And then David said, well, I got buds. I got, I got blossoms. And a lot of you might have blossoms. But I guarantee you ain't none of you got a tomato yet, much less one you can eat. If you do, please give me one. I got bluebell and sunbeam coming. Not bluebell, blue plate. But all kidding aside, a tomato plant will never bear fruit till it's complete. Till it's grown, till it's fullness of potential, and it's mature. And then it'll do something perfect. It'll make a tomato. (laughs) And oh, it's good, ain't it? You see, we the same way. God's growing us. He wants us to mature, to be perfected into the fullness of Christ so that we can become complete and do something, bear fruit. Fruit that our life, Christ in us, will reflect the glory of Jesus. That's what he's doing in everybody he saves. I want you to think about this. Jesus is our spiritual source. He's the one who makes it possible. That's why Paul said, we warn every man. We teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ to this end He said, I'm laboring and striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul's like, Jesus wants to manifest himself in you. And so as he saves us, how do you think he primarily does that? People say, read the Bible. Yep, read the Bible. 
Pray. Yep, pray. Go to church. Hang out with other Christians. Yep. But you can do all of those and never grow in spirit. Never become complete. Some of the most immature, self-righteous, carnal-minded people I know have been in church all their life. You see, guys, if you don't regularly spend time with Jesus, you'll never, ever become what only Jesus can make you. You can become religious. You can get knowledge. You can become, to a degree, righteous compared to other men. But you'll never be what God says we're to be. You see, he's the only one who can provide spiritual sustenance and vitality needed to be spiritually complete as a believer. I want you to turn back with me to where we started. And and most of the time you miss it. I've missed it many times. But when you read what Peter's saying, Peter's standing here and God's did a legit miracle through him. A miracle equal to Jesus. Jesus raised, Jesus had people that were crippled, healed. Now all of a sudden Peter's doing it. And they're preaching that we did it in the power of the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. And because of this man, by the name of Jesus, this man who was helpless is now made well. And he stands today where he couldn't yesterday. And he says, nor is salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And then this is what I want you to look at the last verse. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived and they, that they were uneducated and they were untrained men. And they marveled. Why? Because they're doing everything Jesus did. They're boldly speaking truth and you can't confound them. You can't shut them up. And then they realized that they had been with Jesus. All of this, every Sunday, every Wednesday, Go to every Bible study. Do everything you can. But if you don't spend regular time with Jesus, it won't change you. Have you noticed that when you're not spending time with Jesus, how quickly your spiritual life becomes unhealthy? But that if you're spending time with Jesus and you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you. You see, what does Jesus want to cause in our life? He wants us to be like him. Christ's likeness is the goal, guys. And it says that when you're spiritually complete, people won't say, he's a Baptist. I get all the time, you're not a real Baptist. I'm not trying to be a real Baptist. (laughs) I'm proud to be a Baptist, not ashamed of it. But being recognized as a Baptist is not my primary goal. I want to be Baptist, I want to be recognized as a Christian. I want to be identified with Jesus, not a denomination. I want to promote Jesus, not a denomination. I want to promote what Christ can do, not what we have to offer. Because what we have to offer is very limited for you and your family and your household for your spiritual needs. But may I tell you that what Jesus has to offer is abundant and beyond what you can even think to ask for. He can give. He's unbelievably prepared to change every life that will believe in him. And they realized 
they had been with Jesus. You see, being with Jesus did more. They said they're uneducated. They hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't been to Sunday school. Not that I'm putting down on those things. Those things are beneficial if they're done on the foundation of Jesus, the cornerstone, the chief stone, the foundation of all spiritualness in a person's life. But if they're done where you never spend time with Jesus, I mean, how foolish would it be to have avoided Jesus all week, not spend any time, not talk to him, not listen to him, not been in his word, and come today and expect spiritual completeness to occur in your life. To expect yourself to be one day perfected into being like Jesus. I don't know if you figured out yet. Whoever you hang out with has a lot to do with how you think and act. Birds of a feather stick together. Well, I'm going to tell you what. People who love Jesus stick with Jesus. People who are consumed and love what Jesus can do have learned there's nothing better I can do than spend time with Jesus. And they make time to be with Jesus. They prioritize it. Prime example, two wonderful servants of God, Mary and Martha. Jesus comes to their house on a regular basis. We're all supposed to be blessing Jesus. And here's Martha. She's cooking him up a breakfast, biscuits, bacon. Well, Jesus didn't eat bacon, but, but she's making him a breakfast that Martha's proud of. She's slaving. She's making it. And, and, and Jesus is in there teaching the men. And Mary, she hears him. Mary said, Martha, you're on your own. Cooking and blessing Jesus with a meal and getting fed by Jesus. She did what Jesus said was the most important thing. Martha ends up complaining, murmuring, whining. Jesus, they not helping me. I've been there so many times. They ain't nobody wants to do nothing at that church. Ain't nobody wants to help me, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, it could get worse. But you know what? I find out when I'm hanging out with Jesus and I've been sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus is feeding me and Jesus is speaking to me. Everything can be going so bad and I'm like, it's going to be all right, Lord. But when everything's going wonderful and people are getting saved and the church is going good and everybody even seems to like me, if I ain't been hanging out with Jesus, I feel empty. I feel unfulfilled. I feel like something's always lacking. But when I'm rightly connected to Jesus and Jesus is rightly connected to me and I've spent adequate time with him, remaining in him, abiding in him, you know what I find? It's not about what others can do for me. All of a sudden, I'm getting my joy and I'm getting my glory from what others are getting from me. Did you catch that? That's Christ-likeness. That's Jesus' servanthood. He said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for everyone. Friends, listen, the more you get like Jesus, the less it becomes about you. And the more it becomes about others. You see, others is the sole reason for fruit. Fruit is not for the tree. Fruit is for the passerby that's hungry. Fruit is for the person who needs sustenance. And friends, listen. 
Jesus wants us to be like him. He told us, he and his apostles in John chapter 15, he said, I am the vine, I'm the true vine, meaning I'm the one that you need to be connected to. And you are the branches. He said, I am the true vine and you are the branches. And my father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. And what's the father doing? He's working on each branch to make it do something. What is his purpose in making each branch do? Bear fruit. So sometimes he prunes us. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes if you don't bear any fruit, he cuts you off. But if you are bearing fruit, he prunes and he works and he does something to you so that you can make more fruit for him. Christ-likeness. Only God can do that. Brother John can put tomato plants in the ground. He can put tomato plants in the ground and you can put tomato plants in the ground and you can put fertilizer on them and you ought to do that and you can water them and you got to do that and you can, you can cultivate the ground and do everything possible to make that tomato plant grow but there comes a point that only God that created that tomato plant can make that tomato plant make tomatoes. Can I get an amen? You can't make fruit. God makes fruit. And I want you to think about this. Christ-likeness, spiritual completeness, the fruit of the Spirit. None of that we can replicate. None of that can we fake. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's what long-suffering is. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you want that in your life? I want it in my life because I want others to experience what only Jesus can do. If you really think about it, that is a beautiful picture of Jesus. That's his attributes. That's his character. That describes Jesus to a T, as my mama would say. And friends, listen. The fruit of the Spirit is these things. I don't know about y'all, but who do you want to hang around? People who know a lot about the Bible? People who know all the rules? People who know all the traditions? Are people who have all the attributes. Who are you going to yoke up with and feed on? A person like that will do more to make you like Jesus than a hundred Pharisees who have a lot of religious knowledge. Jesus said this, not me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, that means remains in me, and I in him will bear a lot of fruit. Where I come from, buku fruit. Y'all know what that is? Buku fruit. That's Brother Marty Gidry preaching. But without him, apart from him, you can do nothing. And friends, that's what happens. We get so busy with church and life and doing the things of physical needs that we starve to death our spiritual needs. And the only one who can make us spiritual is Jesus. That's why his name is above every other name. I don't know about y'all, but I love the name Diane. Diane. And I say it a lot, sometimes too much. 
<laughs> Diane, where's my keys? Diane, did you wash my shirt? Diane, what's for supper? I don't know. I hate I don't know. <laughs> Diane. You know why? Because I know she meets needs in my life. That's what wives are here for. You say, preacher, you're getting meddling now. But man, it ain't them that's supposed to make you happy. It ain't their job to make you feel like a man. That's Jesus' job. Now, it's good to have a wife doing all that. But even without all that, if you ain't got Jesus, your marriage will never be what Jesus created it to be. And church will never be what he created it to be. You see, Jesus is the fulfiller. The fulfill. He's the completer. He's the one that brings us to perfection. Does that make sense to you? And hanging out with Jesus trumps anything else we can do. It's important as serving Jesus and his church is. Sermon preparation. Music practice. If you want to be anointed, you got to find time somewhere to just sit at the feet of Jesus and say, here I am, Lord. Would you do something in my life? Would you fix me? Would you show me? Would you teach me? Lord, would you make me like you? It's wonderful, isn't it, when it's happening. Today, I want to invite you this morning to come to Jesus. To put him first, give him preeminence, give him first place. Jesus will never be second and give you what only he can give you first. Make him first and watch what he does. You see, the idea of abiding, remaining in Christ has to do with intimacy, with communion in our relationship. You see, you can be saved but not have any intimacy. See, you can be married, and if you ask your wife what's for supper, you'll wish you didn't ask her. If you don't have healthy intimacy and communion, you won't get, maybe get a bologna sandwich. But man, when you got intimacy and communion, when you come home and open the truck door, you go, whoo, pot roast. You walk through the door, whoo, macaroni, homemade too, not that box junk. You see, she feeds you. Jesus feeds those who hang out with him. Jesus feeds the person who's hungry for what only he can give. Ain't you tired of box religion? Don't you want the real thing? Jesus will give that to you today. I wish I could show you how much he loves you and how much he wants to bless you. But you got to spend time with him, just like anybody else we love, and he will give you. I want you to think about this. We can't avoid Jesus all week and then show up here on Sunday morning and expect to experience a spiritual revival. I'm going to give it to you in the most basic way that God shows me. I need to hang out with Jesus a lot more than I do. You need to find a place where you and Jesus can hang out and where when you meet with Jesus, you and him have intimate communion together. And you just build that into your relationship. This morning, first and foremost, you got to be saved. Five young people walked in aisle last week, gave their heart, if they meant it, to Jesus. And Jesus now is coming to their life. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. 
He'll be with you to the end of the age. But you got to follow him. you got to let him lead you. The Bible says that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and he will lead and direct our path. And it's on the path of Jesus that all spiritual blessings happen. So I'm inviting anyone here who's never been saved this morning, there's no other name. There's power in that name. If you'll just put trust and hope in that name and confess you're a sinner, he'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you, and he'll come into your life and save you. But I'm preaching for saved people today. How many of us would be willing to admit this old crazy world gets me distracted? It pulls me away from my Jesus, and I want to come to you, Jesus. We're like that old prodigal. Don't wait till you end up in the pig pen. Come home today. Jesus is waiting, and his hands are wide open, and he's saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. In the world, you have tribulations, but don't worry. I've overcome the world. I'll give you peace. Not the peace that the world gives you, but my peace. But we got to come to Jesus. Jesus is calling. What are we going to sing? Come. Come ye sinners. Amen. What a wonderful choice. I'm going to pray and you're going to stand. And if you need to come to Jesus, just come and say, Lord, help me to get closer to you. Help me to be truly the spiritual person that you want me to be. Father in heaven, I just pray that today, Lord, you would take us and you would transform us by the renewing of our minds and change our hearts, creating us clean hearts, oh God. Renew in our steadfast spirits. Return to us the joy of your salvation. Lord, let your Holy Spirit be made manifest in our life again. Lord Jesus, you told us all we got to do is confess. And you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. You said if we'll seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you'll add everything unto us that we need. If you're going to give us, Lord, a house and clothing and food certainly you're going to take care of us spiritually lord for the hungry heart tonight for the person who seeks for righteousness and for holiness lord you're here to make it real in our life if we'll only come just come to you not to church not to a religion not to a person but to god's son the one and only Jesus. Lord, would you do your work today? I've spoke what you put on my heart. Make it real in our hearts today. Change our lives, oh God. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come ye see.